Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1, where we challenge the assumptions of our current society to resist oppression and investigate alternative ways of living for a world based on justice, solidarity, and sustainability. Today's paradigm shift is about food irradiation. The Queensland Government has applied to Food Standards Australia and New Zealand for permission to irradiate all types of fresh fruit and vegetables. The Government claims that this is necessary to prevent pests and ensure that fruit and veg are healthy to humans and animals. They use this method to destroy contaminants such as toxins and bacteria that are injurious to health, or so they say. The main reason governments are backing irradiation is to enable greater trade in fruit and vegetables both to and from interstate and overseas. On today's paradigm shift, we're going to hear from activists from Friends of the Earth, Gene Ethics and Just Peace about food irradiation. Most of us have been involved for many years in the anti-nuclear movement. During that time, we have campaigned against the mining and export of uranium for nuclear power not to be used in the generation of electricity and, of course, for the non-proliferation of nuclear weapons. Many applications have been discovered by nuclear science. Food irradiation is only one of them. However, it is important because of how necessary good food is to human and animal health. Because 4ZZZ came out of the anti-war movement, it is good to see that on our 45th anniversary we can get together to discuss how to make the world a better and more sustainable place. Many different avenues have been used for these aims, film, radio and of course rallies and marches blockades and other forms of non-violent direct action. These are our tools of trade, especially when we're confronted by big corporations in the nuclear fuel cycle. I'd now like to read out a statement by one of our guests today that couldn't be with us, Rosemary Severin. And she has been a a, a long-time activist in the anti-nuclear movement and has been recently and in the past very concerned about food irradiation. This is what Rosemary sent in. As I have a regular anti-nuclear stall at the Northy Street City Farm Markets, I can tell your listeners that even in this haven for organic foodies, there is practically a total ignorance of the existence of food irradiation. Once alerted, they are immediately concerned. The vital information that cobalt-60 
as the source of ionising radiation is used by Steritech, Australia's only commercial irradiation company, to irradiate fruit and, ve- and herbs for the last few, few years is unknown. The fact that there is a food irradiation plant at Narangbar, which is just up near K- Kabulcha, is equally unknown by most. Inadequate labelling means that people don't know that they're buying irradiated food. This ignorance means that consumers have no choice or voice. My role is to raise awareness about food irradiation, but this is difficult when the Food Standards Australia and New Zealand organisation suddenly gives a deadline for submissions in the busy Christmas period. Gaining as many submissions as possible through the paradigm shift in 4ZZZ would be great. Welcome everyone to the Paradigm Shift. You're with Ian and I've got a special guest today. Could you introduce yourself? Hi everyone, this is Robin here, um, sometimes on Eco Radio and uh, working with Rosemary, I'd say since 2000, sadly, we're still working on uh, opposing the nuclear irradiation of food in Australia under various organizational names, but for the long haul with Friends of the Earth Brisbane and the Friends of the Earth Australia. Well, Friends of the Earth has a big history in the anti-nuclear area and, you know, it goes all the way back in in Queensland. They've been involved in many struggles. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about the history of this particular struggle? Sure. Thanks for asking. Uh, Well, in the 1980s, um, food irradiation was actually a really big international issue. Uh, I think this is partially due to the Cold War era and more awareness of the imminent nuclear threat. And the food irradiation itself was grown out of the Atoms for Peace program. So there's a direct link between food irradiation and nuclear weapons development, as in irradiation is one of the friendly faces. And the IAEA, still uh, that's the International Atomic Energy Agency, is a major proponent of food irradiation and still promotes, um, actually has a 10-year plan right now um, promoting peaceful uses of the atom. And so irradiation and radiation mutation of food is part of what the International Atomic Energy Association in partnership with the Food and Agricultural Organization of the United Nations um, are are promoting. And so there's a big um, promotion to uh, continue nuclear... Uh, the nuclear industry, militarized and civilian nuclear industry, um, and this is one of its manifestations. So in the 80s, there was a huge campaign against irradiation in Australia as well. That campaign won a moratorium on irradiation, in which was enacted in 1989, and that moratorium was in effect lifted in 1999. And that is when Steritech, Australia's only commercial irradiation company, Uh, applied for uh, permission to build a nuclear irradiation facility in Deception Bay. It's actually Deception Bay, but it's called the Narangba Industrial Estate and often was referred to as the Narangba Campaign. In 1999, the Caboolture Shire, still then a nuclear-free zone, did approve the land to uh, the use of that um, area and rezoned the area from light industries to hazardous, noxious, and offensive industries and permitted the um, irradiation plant to 
uh, go ahead. And that was the beginning of the local and the collaborative campaign uh, re informing of the local and collaborative campaign against the nuclear face of irradiation and food irradiation in Australia. Can I ask you why you oppose food irradiation and specifically why you oppose that plant? Well, certainly the, uh, as many people, uh, I believe Rosemary as well, uh, we initially got involved because we were uh, I'll speak for myself, you know, uh, trying to oppose a nuclear development. So the irradiation plant um, proposed at Narangba and now operating at Narangba Deception Bay is the third, actually, facility owned by Stereotech in Australia. They all use cobalt-60, which is radioactive material made in nuclear reactors in Canada. So involving the transport, storage, and um, then disposal or um, uh, use and storage of radioactive material. So fueling the global nuclear cycle and uh, for me I saw um, clear evidence of the health impacts of um, exposing food to radiation so um, there is the impact on food the impact on agriculture and the social justice implications of proposing um, expanding the nuclear industry that were all of concern to me at that time okay so you got to the point where there was an application by Stereotech to the Caboolture Shire Council to build this plant. How did you go about opposing it? Well, initially, the uh, local residents took action, and their forms of action took many forms. Community meetings, prayer vigils on the site, um, collaborations um, with other organizations and lobbying politicians. This was before my time at Friends of the Earth Brisbane. I was um, involved in everyone for a nuclear-free future, living on the Gold Coast. But Friends of the Earth Brisbane um, started working with the local people up at Deception Bay and Narangba. And there was huge public meetings and the beginning of a real public um, campaign, as well as uh, not just a protest campaign, but attempts to respond to the... It was called ANSFA, Australia New Zealand Food Authority back then, and and various levels of government entanglement in the issue. The land which the Stereotech development was proposed for, the industrial estate was state government land. The um, BD government was in at the time and did have a strong anti-nuclear platform, which included... Uh, a prohibition of nuclear irradiation facilities. So we, of course, expected the Labor government to live up to its platform. And the federal government, which um, food regulation is by government, it's Australia and New Zealand, and there's federal authority and state input. Yeah. So the federal government um, did a process and approve the first irradiation food application, though the plant hadn't been built yet. And we can say the BD government capitulated or said, if the federal government thinks it's okay, then we'll give it the tick too. Uh, of course, we um, didn't agree with that logic and the community campaign grew into a strong uh, direct action campaign. There was a 10-month protest camp up in um, the industrial estate. So uh, we're talking the late 1990s now? Uh, well, the 1990s is when the community started organising, 99, yep. uh, when they became aware of Caboolture Shire agreeing to the proposal. 
Um, the first uh, radiation f- uh, food irradiation approval was in 2001. So that was prior to a plant being built, but when it was in the pipelines. And that was for herbs, spices, and herbal infusions. Um, the plant became... Uh, construction began and so from 2002 when the construction began to 2003 there was approximately a 10-month protest camp on site a second application for some tropical fruits was approved in 2003 Queensland Health um, approved the um, radioactive licenses and that was the final thing that allowed the facility to go up and running so in 2003 there was uh, the protest camp was gone. There were still protests in different locations. There was a group of young activists who did a fast against food irradiation and um, stopped at sites from Canberra up to um, Brisbane and Deception Bay. Um, once the rods were in place and the facility became operating, we shifted our focus to really the purpose of the plant rather than trying to stop the plant. And so that's when we became more um, involved in. Uh, opposing food irradiation itself. So what kind of food were they irradiating then? The initial approvals were a very large class of food, which is herbs, spices, and material for herbal infusions. And then they were approving, um, I can't exactly remember the number, a few, nine maybe tropical fruits. And there haven't been many approvals, but they've come in dribs and drabs. So recently there was um, our 2000 and, uh, 14, I can't remember. There was one for irradiation of persimmons. And that's probably not a market that many Queenslanders really have their hearts, you know, oh, I'm so worried about the condition of persimmons. But actually, within the persimmon application, um, the food standards Australia and New Zealand had uh, included, and it's uh, off its own bat, changes to food labeling regulations. So um, it was very important that we campaigned on that, and those regulations were, um, those changes were dropped. Um, they've then approved uh, blueberries and raspberries separately. Then they approved some more fruit and vegetable. And now they're um, aiming to approve a blanket approval for all fruit and vegetables. And, uh, you know, we've always known they were the slippery slope, but this is the big slippery slope. Uh, I can say that between 2011 and 2018, really, the community, uh, we didn't stop the irradiation approvals, but we did really work hard and, um, thanks to everybody, maintained labeling of irradiated foods. We want that to be improved, but at least um, there was a concerted effort to remove all labeling and um, the community did rally and uh, in New Zealand and Australia and that labeling has been ment- maintained. So at least we still have some avenue for monitoring the industry. And we know the reason they don't want it labeled is because most people don't want to eat food that's been exposed to radiation. Well, I've never seen a label and I'm an assiduous shopper and I look at all labels and I, I can't say that I've ever seen any indication and that's maybe why Rosemary said there, even with foodies, no one knows about it. That's right. And at the moment, it is pr- 
probably true that the amount of irradiated food in Australia is small. It is not a popular technology. The use of irradiation for phytosanitary purposes, which is what they want, that means bug control. It hasn't been a major use of irradiation globally. And in fact, Australia was the first country to use and promote it for bug control. And so this is a thing that Australia is really uh, attempting to push. Uh, I did note in the intro, it talked about a little bit about the healthiness or the safety of food. So um, that's a re- an irradiation industry spin because irradiation can neutralize pests and um, use for decontamination purposes and ex- thus extending the shelf life. Whether this makes food healthy or safer is really um, uh, is really the question. So the ex- the science is clear that the vitamins and nutrients are depleted, that unique and non-unique um, products, uh, molecular changes made are made in the food because irradiation, it's ionizing irradiation, so it changes the molecular structure of food. So um, Australia permits the irradiation of herbs and spices to a much higher level of radiation exposure right now than it um, has asked for for fruit and vegetable. And that's because um, they for f- herbs and spices, they are using it to decontaminate um, herbs and spices. They may have been got rat poo in them. They may have bacteria on them. So rather than making safe and healthy production practices, they are using an end means radiation exposure to try to tidy up uh poorly produced food. So we'd like to say, if it needs to be irradiated, what's wrong with it? Okay, the thing that's brought us here today is that the Queensland Government has made an application so that they can irradiate all fruit and vegetables. So that has to go to the food standards mob. And unfortunately, we've only been given till the 24th of December to get our submissions in. So we're trying to really do a public awareness campaign Um, Where should people write in their submissions if they're concerned about this? Thanks for asking. If you want to find out more, we have a great action on the Friends of the Earth Australia website. Uh, It's a little bit complicated. I think if you duck, duck, go or Google it, you'll find it. But it is foe.org.au forward slash Queensland underscore irradiation. And we're asking people to not just write to Food Standards Australia New Zealand, the regulatory body, but also to write to your local representative on the ministerial forum. So um, while the ministerial, while the regulatory body is a regulatory body and can say they're not political and they don't have to listen to public opinion, uh, every state has one or two representatives, which are the ministers who make up the food um, standards ministerial forum, the uh, sorry, the food regulatory ministerial forum. And so those people are our local politicians. And so you can find on the website your contact details for your local um, food regulatory representative. In Queensland, that's the Honourable Yvette Doth is the lead minister. And the Honourable Mark Ferner is the secondary minister. So those two uh, politicians may not be your local MP, but they are actually your local rep in Australian food law. And you have the right and you should um, contact them and let them know as well. So just copy your letter to them to make sure that that's on their, in, in their site because um, 
maybe they're not aware of it yet, or maybe they haven't paid attention, but it's good for them to know that their constituents, who are all of us, actually are paying attention and care. Okay, so you're on the paradigm shift. It's coming up to 25 past 12. I'm with Robin Tobenfeld, who's from Friends of the Earth, and we're now going to play a song and get uh, someone, a gene ethicist on the line, Bob Phelps. So let's go to the song You Are What You Eat by Formidable Vegetable Sound System. Phelps, can you just give us a brief introduction for the listeners, Bob? Oh, good afternoon, Ian uh, and Robin. Yes, Bob Phelps here from Gene Ethics. We're based in Victoria, and uh, we've been campaigning since the 1980s on a variety of uh, environmental, public health and related issues, as um, as you yourselves have been. So um, congratulations on uh, the um, radio station getting to 45 years as well. Uh, I was uh, the um, the coordinator of the Queensland Conservation Council at the time, so I well recall 
the founding of the uh, station on the University of Queensland campus at the time. And, of course, uh, the headbanging that went on over the street marches and other issues with the Bjorki-Peterson government at the time. So uh, I've been running Gene Ethics since 1988, um, and uh, we've been uh, making sure that the genetic manipulation of living organisms, whether they're humans, plants, animals, or microorganisms, uh, is properly regulated. And we've also been taking an, an interest in uh, the irradiation of foodstuff since 1993. I see I've got an email when I made my first submission on that occasion. So uh, a track record on issues that are close to your uh, concerns and to your history as well. I remember when you were one of the key people in campaign against nuclear power and I was wondering, are you having more luck fighting food irradiation than we did trying to stop Bjorki Peterson from mining and exporting uranium? Well, I can't say that we are, to be frank. Uh, however, one of the things that's happened is that the, um, the Cobalt-60 uh, fuel rods coming in from Canada is ending, and Stereotech is now uh, transferring its uh, irradiation facilities uh, into x-rays. So it'll be x-ray energy that's applied to our food, but still in very, very high doses indeed. Our concern really is that uh, the current proposal for the irradiation of all fresh fruits and vegetables involves the application of between one and a half million and 10 million x-ray energy equivalents. So a really a huge amount of energy uh, you might want to call it pre-cooking fresh fruits and vegetables. They'll, they'll appear uh, to be intact and probably edible, but as Robin already outlined, uh, their nutritional value, vitamins in particular, uh, will be substantially depleted. Uh, we're getting a uh, facility built at the moment uh, here at the wholesale fruit and vegetable markets in Melbourne, uh, in addition to the other Stereotech facilities. And I, I must say, too, that uh, part of Stereotech's work is actually worthwhile and acceptable, and that is the irradiation of things like hospital equipment to make sure that they are thoroughly sterile, um, very important for the security of biosecurity in our hospitals. But when it comes to zapping a living organism that we're going to put into our mouth to uh, maintain our health and well-being then i think there are very very serious questions uh, to be answered and food stands australia new zealand and the queensland department of agriculture have done a very poor job of putting together the evidence that irradiating all fresh fruits and vegetables will not have a significant effect on the food supply you know uh, we've got uh, other government departments constantly telling us we need to eat more fresh fruits and vegetables uh, to maintain our um, our health and well-being and to head off um, systemic uh, ill health, particularly in older age groups. And uh, on the other hand, we've got the Queensland government with the agreement of the federal and other governments and the New Zealand government too that um, we can degrade that uh, essential food supply in a very profound way and we ought to remember that there are very many other 
methods of controlling fruit fly, uh, including those that are used by the organic industry, the bagging, pheromone strips, and a number of other uh, strategies for pre-harvest prevention of fruit fly problems. It's just that industrial agriculture is not interested in uh, taking the precautions necessary, which are uh, certainly uh, more expensive and also involve uh, more staff, so more jobs. Uh, industrial agriculture is on the wrong track and that's part of the problem right through from the beginning of food production, uh, the treatment of food, its retail right onto our, our plates and spoons. Uh, we need to do better than we have been and a transition to regenerative farming practices and systems uh, is essential for the future because industrial agriculture is on the wrong track and as its essential resources like oil and phosphates run out, um, this transition will be essential to ensure that everybody can be continue to be well fed. In Queensland, um, the fruit fly is a big, that you mentioned, is it's actually a big problem. Now, as far as I understand it, the larvae gets into the fruit. It might be a, an apple, it could be um, a, a citrus fruit or whatever. Now, when they irradiate it, are they trying to kill the larvae? That's correct. That's exactly what's involved. And, of course, the larvae are not removed. Um, the other thing to say is that... Um, Fruit fly are now um, in Victoria, New South Wales and Queensland. So the transfer of fruits and vegetables between states on the eastern seaboard will not involve irradiation because we're all in the same boat as far as fruit fly is concerned. But what we also need to remember is that uh, irradiation can be used, as Robin already said, to clean up food that is not fit to eat. Uh, for instance, it's got uh, pathogenic microorganisms in it. And the irradiation process also extends the shelf life of food. So the people supplying it find that very advantageous because they can get their fruits, vegetables and the other irradiated products to the marketplace looking okay, but they can be very old indeed and their nutritional value can be uh, greatly compromised. So I think our core concern really is that uh, that nutritional food supply that uh, people depend on for good health is going to be substantially degraded, and that's where a substantial part of this debate is. Meanwhile, however, we need to also remember that uh, something of the order of one and a half million Australians are food insecure. And uh, in this discussion, we need to ensure that uh, affordable, healthy, uh, whole foods like fresh fruits and vegetables and whole grains are delivered to the whole community. Everyone has the right to eat well. The United Nations guarantees that. We're a signatory to the conventions, uh, the relevant conventions, and uh, we should be making that our, our, um, our goal to uh, not just zap everything with uh, up to 10 million x-ray equivalents but to actually manage the food supply in a much more sympathetic and careful way recognizing that it's the staff of life that we all depend on 
Yesterday when we were talking about this program, uh, Robin and I were discussing the amount of food wastage and you've raised that point about insecurity, um, food insecurity for people. A lot of people have to rely upon food banks and local government organisations and, and local uh, NGOs to actually give them the food they need. Is that food security improved by this process of um, long, you know, extending the the shelf life or making the food capable of being used outside of the the retail sector? No, it isn't significantly. Uh, we need to be eating local, clean, green, fresh, preferably organic foods that are not uh, sprayed with synthetic chemicals. That's the other underbelly of all of this is that the industrial food production system uh, is encouraging the use of toxic chemicals by way of um, herbicides and pesticides out in the field itself and that won't end irradiation doesn't fix up, fixed up those systemic problems um, we need to be helping farmers to produce food uh, and fiber in a much more environmentally sustainable and friendly way through regenerative farming systems with oil and phosphates running out and becoming much more expensive farmers uh, doing broadacre agriculture as they are at the moment and focusing primarily on exports because 70% of Australia's agricultural uh, production is actually exported. Uh, it's not consumed in Australia. Uh, we need to be uh, thinking about, yes, feeding everybody w well, not wasting those uh, very, very valuable resources of good food and not focusing almost exclusively on trade and markets. The leaders of the agriculture, of the agribusiness uh, industry, of course, like the National Farmers Federation and our governments have now got this dream of producing $100 billion worth of Australian agricultural produce in the year 2030 and that's what they're driving at that's what they're going after that's why they're doing things like intensifying uh, production systems out on the land and irradiating our fresh fruits and vegetables to try to achieve this mythical goal of um, the hundred billion dollars and um, uh, why can't we just get back to basics and say feed everybody well don't waste food um, do the things that are going to ensure food security for the future because food security is by no means assured we take our food supply very very much for granted and we shouldn't because uh, we you know famine does stalk the world despite the fact that uh, we've got about seven or eight million uh, billion people uh, we already produce uh, enough food for around 12 billion according to the uh, UN special rapporteur on the right to food but now of course a huge amount of our pr of primary production is going into things like bio biofuels most of um, Australia's canola for instance is exported to Europe to be made into biofuels to run their um, their transport fleet we can't go on like that. Uh, we need to be feeding people well as the first priority. And if there are some bulk commodities left over, fine.
the other thing is that um, research and development into these areas of innovating uh, food, having a genuine paradigm shift for the future, which is what regenerative farming systems would be, are absolutely starved of any resources, as the organic industry is as well, for envisaging what those systems must do for the future. They're still stuck in the agribusiness intensive industrial uh, system of food and fibre production, which has been developed by the global uh, uh, agrochemical and GM industries over the last 50 years. Uh, CropLife, for instance, CropLife uh, Australia is a member of CropLife International, which operates in 92 countries to advance the interests of the agrochemical industry on behalf of people like Bayer, Monsanto, BASF, uh, ChemChina, and so on and so on. Uh, that's where the policy is being made, and that's why uh, we're still on this dead end of uh, industrial agricultural systems, which has, as a key part of it now, the irradiation of our fruits and vegetables. Um, it's trade, it's markets, and it's not about uh, good health or well-being, which is where the focus should be. Food Stands Australia New Zealand has been hijacked and we need to get uh, back control uh, of its agendas. I'd like to bring in Robin now, and one question that does come to me immediately is because you're talking about cobalt-60 and the use of rods and, 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 irradi and ra irradiating food, the effect that must have on the workers in those facilities um, could be quite dangerous. Um, do you have much engagement with unions or worker organisations that w are willing to come on board and to question in the way that you are? Another great well, question, uh, Ian. Oh, do you want to answer, Bob? Well, as I mentioned, um, Stereotech, when we went to talk to them about 18 months ago about um, uh, their facility here in the Dandenongs, in um, or Dandenong, uh, here in Victoria, did say that they would be uh, phasing out cobalt-60 rods. Um, I don't know if we can take that at face value or not, but I do know that the Epping facility at the fruit and vegetable market, uh, which is... Uh, has received around $5 million in state government subsidies um, will be an X-ray facility. So I'm not personally too acquainted with the health and safety aspects of that, but I imagine that the, uh, um, the facility will be similar probably to the, um, to the others in that the food will be put on a pallet on a... Um, on a, on a chain and it will simply go in through the uh, doors of the facility, be irradiated and come out the other side, bearing in mind that the food itself doesn't become radioactive. Yes, its structure is disrupted. Yes, its vitamins and minerals uh, are compromised, but the food doesn't become radioactive. So that's not a critical concern. However, I think its impacts on health and well-being still are our number one concern and should be the main focus because 
I don't think that the industry can be trusted to continue to be as small as it claims it will be. Uh, they're certainly in the business of growing their business. And um, once they get going, I think that irradiation will be the treatment of choice, particularly for things that are going to be transferred either overseas or between states uh, for those purposes of controlling insects on the one hand which is the legitimate purpose but also for extending shelf life and um, decontaminating from microbial infestation which are not a, which will not be approved but are a collateral uh, effect of irradiating fresh fruits and vegetables Did so, you, yeah. uh, so um, yes at the moment, if you look at Stereotech's website, website, the electron beam uh, possibility and the X-ray beam possibility are under construction. And so while they're promoting their shift and the Victoria new um, Victoria Market facility is promoted as, I think, X-ray or possibly both, um, it's, we've been, it is unclear whether, um, if, when that will be operating and when this phase-out may if when this phase out may occur at the moment all of stereotech's irradiation facilities and there are three are uh, cobalt 60 irradiators and it, we need to uh, make the public aware that while food irradiation this current application is the newer uh, use of the uh, irradiation facility the irradiators ha are irradiating medical products, therapeutic goods, animal feed, and um, pet products. And so this is furthering the, the legitimacy at the moment of the nuclear industry. I actually don't agree with Bob on the legitimacy of nuclear uh, irradiation for single-use medical purposes as well because there are alternatives to nuclear materials. So, of course, from a nuclear environmental point of view an x-ray facility or an e-beam facility will be would be more sustainable so we would um, alleviate the requirement for the transport and the storage and the use of the radioactive materials and it's a turn off turn onable so they're not going to be sitting there but at the moment the situation in australia is is that they are nuclear irradiation facilities and those materials still do need to be managed. When the plant... Uh, so the Stereotech plant in Narangba uh, was built while two other plants were operating. And these were not purpose-built for food and they're not called food irradiation facilities, though they may be irradiating products that are regularly consumed by humans, such as therapeutic herbal teas, which aren't labeled because they're not food under Australian law and they're not food so you uh, under Australian law so you have little capacity to uh, monitor that industry uh, we did in 2007 I believe it was or 2008 um, uh, up to a hundred Australian cats developed neurological disorders paralyzed or paralyzed and some died from eating irradiated cat food so now we have the situation that that was legally irradiated as pet food so it's not regulated as food uh, because of that um, in vivo example of the damage caused by linked to and accepted linked to irradiation 
the irradiation of cat food is now illegal in Australia, and dog food, because cats may eat dog food, uh, requires labeling, so it says not suitable for cats. But the industry will still claim that there's no possible negative impact to humans. So the exact mechanism of that um, damage, neurological damage, has still not been elucidated or um, explained. And so other regulatory bodies will at least say an impact on humans can't be ruled out. And so um, that is the reality that these facilities are radiating products that are bought and consumed by um, Australians and New Zealanders that are not regulated as food. And the way to monitor that is we've been trying to monitor it, but also to ask uh, manufacturers. Um, they are irradiated for, they may be irradiating bird seed, um, dog food, uh, rawhide chews um, imported from China. These kind of things may be, and, and um herbs from overseas that are for therapeutic goods may be regularly irradiated. So if you want to avoid them and you go to a herbalist, ask your herbalist, are these products irradiated? What guarantee do you have of the safety of them? Um, and so the, that's a broader issue than just the current applications for food. But at the moment, what we can focus on and what we think we can shift the position on is the use of food and hopefully um, on those things that are consumed by humans and their family, their furry friends and their animals. Bob, you're a gene ethicist. Uh, I'm not sh exactly sure what that is, but these um, uh, cobalt-60 rays, that as, as we're aware, they, they can be carcinogenic. Now, do they actually mutate the genetic structure of the, the plants? Sorry, plants are not um, are not exposed. It destroys the structure of the food, which is a harvested plant. Um, yeah, so I, I think I, the I think the issue there is a radiological one, and it's certainly um, the case that in the uh, cobalt sixty plants, it's a bit like a nuclear reactor. They keep their um, fuel rods in uh, water underground. And when they're going to put something through on the conveyor belt, they lift the rods up and the energy is then uh, comes in and hits the pallets of whatever it is that they're putting through, whether it be hospital equipment or food. And um, that certainly uh, does pose uh, certainly ock health and safety issues. And, of course, there's the trans bought and uh, shipment internationally of the cobalt 60 rods which means that they go by truck to the port and presumably are loaded on ships which then take them back to Canada for reprocessing and bring back some new ones so I imagine that that's why there's um, a move to try to phase them out because it's um, it's a it's not a it's, it's a messy business and um, certainly has uh, public health and safety issues associated with it as well as worker health and safety that, that as to the food itself and I think most importantly about the labeling uh, which Robin had just talked about um, that is required internationally um, the Codex Alimentarius the international food standards require irradiated foods to be labeled but certainly shoppers are not going to give, be given much of a choice because the label uh, consists of a dinky little flower-like logo 
and doesn't include the words irradiation or irradiated. And uh, so the, the, the labelling system uh, is, has yet to be tested properly as well. I think you said earlier, never seen an irradiated um, label or sign in a shop. And the retailers will be allowed to get away with simply posting a sign uh, at the point of sale somewhere near the product. Uh, the individual products won't necessarily be labelled. And so there is a whole issue there about uh, shopper information, uh, the right to know what has been done to food. And I think that uh, shoppers should start to ask their fresh fruit and veggie stores um, and their supermarket retailers, hang on, is this an irradiated product or not? Because it uh, won't necessarily be immediately obvious uh, I think that once this latest application is rolled out and the amount of fruit and vegetables that are irradiated starts to accelerate that this will be a major issue indeed and uh, that I think will be the basis for a very good uh, grassroots campaign where we can uh, engage people in talking to their retailers talking to the uh, checkout people um, talking to their local fresh fruit and veggie stores. Probably not um, farmers' markets, although even there it's worth talking to them because, unfortunately, the food industry, as it is on so many of these issues, is pretty laid back and not engaged. And I think that uh, food producers, uh, food distributors and food retailers should be much, much more engaged than they are. But it will take public awareness, shopper intervention to make sure uh, that that happens and that the industry itself um, gets serious about uh, protecting the health and well-being and safety of uh, their customers, which is what they should do. You're on the paradigm shift. We're coming up to five minutes to one. Um, I'm going to ask you both if you could add if you wish to add anything thanks very much for you both coming robin do you what, what do you want to say uh i think it's been a great conversation and there's so much more to say even though i find it infuriating that we still have to talk about this stuff and um but because we're running out of time and i think it'd be great to go out with some music or something uplifting. I'd just like to remind people that you can get more information on the Friends of the Earth Australia website, fo.org.au forward slash Queensland underscore irradiation. We also have a Facebook page, Food Irradiation Watch, and we have a Facebook group. Uh, which also is um, useful because we can post documents there. We do have a Food Irradiation Watch website, unfortunately got corrupted by some virus and is currently uh, being revamped, but it has some great information and over the next week it will be um, beautified and up to datified and that's foodirradiationwatch.org but um, for your urgent action look at the Friends of the Earth Australia website and um, let your local pollies know that you care. I'll put those links up on our Facebook page. What about you, Bob? Anything you wish to add? Well, listeners are welcome to uh, visit our Facebook page and website as well. Uh, Gene Ethics is all one word. Gene and Ethics put together. Uh, they'll easily find us. I think the thing to say is that um, the food industry, which like Big Pharma, Big Agriculture and others, 
is a global industry that um, uh, transfers food and food-like substances of questionable uh, quality and healthiness around the world these days, particularly uh, the transnational people like Coke and Mars and the rest of them. Um, these people are calling the shots as far as food regulation, not only in Australia and New Zealand, but worldwide are concerned. And our regulator, Food Standards Australia New Zealand, is captive of those interest, interests on a whole raft of food issues and agricultural issues as well. So there is need for public awareness. Uh, there are things you can do. As um, mentioned earlier, there is the Food Forum and uh, Minister Darth is the lead minister on that forum. Do be in touch with her. Do say we're not happy with the food system of regulation as it is at the moment. Um, it's not doing its job and um, we just need a transition now to new systems, regenerative farming systems and other systems for ensuring future food security. We mustn't take it for granted because uh, the food supply is a very fragile thing. Agriculture is very fragile and uh, we could, our kids and grandchildren could easily, very easily be in grave trouble, um, not being properly fed in the future. And I think we should care a lot about that. Good, good on you, Bob. Um, I'm just going to... Well, actually, I remembered my sister Pam said to say good, uh, give her regards to you and your partner, and thanks very much for your input today. Thanks, Bob. A pleasure. Thank you both. I'm going to uh, play a, a, a very cautionary speech followed by a song. Um, Bob, you'll remember this person's name, Sandra Bloodworth, and this was at a rally that you attended as long ago as 1977 in King George Square, and this is Sandra talking about uh, the, the link between civil liberties and the nuclear industry and giving us some very cautionary words. The next speaker, Sandra Bloodworth. Sandra's an activist both in CLCC and in CANP. Sandra Bloodworth. The issue of mining uranium is closely linked with the civil liberties in two ways. The mounting attacks and the right to organise severely threatens the anti-uranium movement and Australia's entry into the nuclear cycle is a threat to the very existence of civil liberties and democracy in this country. The Ranger Inquiry said, the large scale and complexity of nuclear power will reduce the opportunity for greater control of decision making and may threaten democratic procedures and civil liberties. Australia hasn't even entered the nuclear cycle and yet we can see the erosion of civil liberties and democratic rights. Peterson and Fraser and their colleagues are prepared to sacrifice our rights to maintain faith with the giant corporations with capital invested in nuclear industries and with the mining companies with capital invested in mining in Australia and who stand to make huge profits from mining the uranium. Fraser and Peterson depend on these interests for support so in their rush to reap profits for them they're prepared to sacrifice our civil liberties and prepared to sacrifice democracy if need be. Here in Queensland any debate at all has been threatened by the ban on street marches and other attacks on the right to freely demonstrate. Throughout Australia, anti-uranium activists are threatened by the existence of AGO and special branch files. And the position of Aboriginals in the mining areas is another example of the government's complete lack of concern for people's rights, for democracy or for debate. In spite of the land rights legislation, 
the government refuses to acknowledge the Aboriginals' right to refuse the mining. Some of that mining will disturb sacred sites. As an analogy, imagine the outrage there would be if a Christian graveyard were to be mined. The Ranger Inquiry also recommended that the Atomic Energy Act not be used, but it still remains on the statutes. It gives wide powers to police and government for search and arrest on suspicion without a warrant. It has the potential to stifle any debate or protest about Australia's involvement in the nuclear industry. And I was just going to read one section from it that is particularly relevant. On a prosecution of a person under paragraph A of section 44, or section 45 or section 46 of this act, it is not necessary to show that he was guilty of a particular act tending to show an intent to prejudice the defence of the Commonwealth and notwithstanding that no such act is proved against him, he may be convicted if from the circumstances of the case, his conduct or his known character as proved, it appears that he acted with intent to prejudice the defence of the Commonwealth. And we begin to see the importance of Asia on special branch files. Therefore, we must be aware that this draconian legislation can still be used, not just to secure the defence of Australia, but against anti-Iranian activists. It's to open the way not to more employment opportunities, but to huge profits for multinational corporations, which will leave, most of which will leave Australia. Is that what we want? It's the way to open the destruction of some of the most unique and beautiful country in the world and the destruction of Aboriginal sacred sites. Is that what we want? Do we want to keep uranium in the ground? If the movement against uranium mining is to succeed, we must defend our right to organise, our right to free speech without fear of intimidation. We must support the trade unions in their struggle against the attacks mounting against them. That's why it's so appropriate to have these three themes today at the One Rally. We must show our commitment to democracy and we must show our commitment to democracy to defend democracy against mounting repression so that we can keep uranium in the ground. And with some song sheets around if you want to follow the song, we're going to sing a song called Bielke's Blues and it's to the tune of Twist and Shout. Well, come on Queenslanders, come on people, join the Fascism in a making Black, black 
Seeking natural rush, the prophet rush. So come on, come on, come on, please send us. Come on, people, for the 